Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. We're looking at Psalm 118. It's that last of the grouping of psalms in the Bible that for centuries Jews have read as an observance for Passover. They did during Jesus' time. These psalms were psalms that were sung, read by Jews during their celebration of Passover, that week-long type celebration of Passover. And remember it says in Matthew 26, verse 30, that Jesus sang a hymn with his disciples before they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would be arrested and beaten and eventually crucified. It's not an accident that these six psalms are those psalms that in some sense culminate in the crucifixion of Jesus. The story of the Bible culminating in the crucifixion of God who became human. And this last of the what's called the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Hallel is that Hebrew word for praise. So hallelujah is blessed be Yahweh. Praise be Yahweh. We praise Yahweh. And it's called the Egyptian Hallel because Passover was first observed, of course, in Egypt before they were delivered from their slavery. And so when we look at Psalm 118, it's a little bit of the magnum opus of these Passover Psalms. It is full of verses, individual verses, that that stand out to us and speak to us, and they speak for us. I learned how to pray the Bible as my prayer before God to meditate and to pray parts of Scripture when I was in college. It changed my life. It's what I'm doing in this podcast. I think it really is essential for us to learn how to do. If you want a place to go to, There are some psalms to go to that are kind of go-to psalms for me. And Psalm 118 is one of those places, one of those psalms. It just has little individual sections that I can pray and meditate on. In and of themselves, they express how I, what I want to say to God. And they speak to me in some way that reminds me of the larger story that I'm in. It's really interesting because this psalm is quoted in several places by Jesus and by the New Testament as indicative of this larger story, as showing how this psalm really is telling us the larger story of why Jesus came. We're going to get to that in future episodes, but we're not going to do that today. It is amazing, and I can't wait to get to it. I'm kind of, in some sense, going through the psalm in the order of the psalm. I am skipping some places that I will come back to after we do the parts that Jesus and the New Testament quote. But I want to come to verses 8 and 9 in Psalm 118. Take it for what it's worth, but when you think of all the verses in the entire Bible, and I I read this in a commentary. This is not something I discovered on my own. But if you count the number of total verses in the Old and New Testament combined, there are apparently 31,174 total verses. And verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 118 are the 15,587th verse and the 15,588th verse. In other words, they are the two middle verses of the entire Bible if you're counting it by verses. 
Now, whether or not that is significant, it's not something that any biblical author intended. And in some sense, the New Testament, the verses were added later. So it's not anything that we would say would be a biblical literary device by any means. It could be God winking at us. I don't know. But it's it is significant in some sense, maybe just by luck. These verses, in some sense, kind of capture the fight of faith we all have to fight. They kind of capture the it, that every day that we face, that Jesus talked about a lot, that the Psalms talk about a lot. And let me just read these two verses and and let's look at them. And you have to use your imagination because in some sense, the language is imaginative. It's bigger than just the the sheer meaning of these words. Verse 8 says, It is better to take refuge in the I am, in the Lord, than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the I am, in the Lord, than to trust in princes. Now, when I say you have to use your imagination, the idea of taking refuge is something that's an, it's an imaginative picture. We take refuge when there's a tornado siren. Well, some do. I always have. Take my family downstairs, find the safest place in the basement, and at least for the that time being, we're, we're taking refuge. We're hiding from danger. We're hiding from a storm that could do damage. And taking refuge in the Lord is like that. We're hiding from the storms of life. We're hiding from where real destruction can come from. And and t- taking refuge could be hiding in the basement. It could be up against a wall. If, you know, if somebody's having a gunfight, taking refuge up against a wall, hiding from the bullets. I'm trying to figure out a way, however you think of refuge, hiding in a cave from a danger. But the idea here is that we take, always we're taking refuge in something because life is hard. And there are fears, and there are uncertainties, and there are anxieties, and there are worries. We all have them. Nobody is immune to this. We all have to decide where we're going to take refuge in our anxieties, in our worries, in our insecurities, and where we're going to take refuge from things that really do threaten our well-being. Life is full of these things. And in some sense, this is where the fight of faith is fought. Because will we take refuge in Yahweh from our anxieties, from our fears, our insecurities, or will we turn to something else as the is? If Yahweh's name means he is, will something else be a greater is that we turn to, to be our refuge, to be our trust? Those two words are in parallel to one another. So it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in a man. So take refuge is in parallel, poetic parallel to the word trust. To take refuge in something is to trust in it. To trust in something is to take refuge in it. So this psalm is saying, and this is the, in some sense, the pinnacle of the fight of faith. Where will you take refuge? In what will you trust? In whom will you trust for your confidence, for your security? And this is a theme all throughout the Psalms. So Psalm 40 verse 4 says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in Yahweh, who trusts in He is, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Anything that we're trusting in, for our sense of confidence, our sense of security, our sense of significance when we feel insignificant, 
our sense of comfort, our purpose, our meaning, our joy, our confidence. You get the point. Anything that we're turning to in our anxiety, our need for worth, our need for significance, if it's other than he is, that is our is, that's an idol. So the question is, what does it mean to make he is our trust, our our security, our our confidence, our, our significance, our shalom, our peace, our meaning? In our times of anxiety and worry and insecurities and uncertainties, the things that threaten our well-being, what does it mean to make the Lord our trust, our refuge? Because if you are sick and you need surgery, it's, it, I don't think, accurate to say, I'm going to trust in the Lord and not my doctor. I'm not going to get the surgery. I'm going to trust the Lord, not my doctor. I'm not going to take the medicine he prescribes or she prescribes. I think that would be a foolish application of what this means. It's not saying we can't trust people and turn to people for help because God uses people to help us. The idea of trust, the idea of taking refuge, I think, is the ultimate level. Ultimately, even though I turn to somebody to help me, that I'm ultimately not trusting that I need somebody to help me as my ultimate trust, but I'm trusting in the I am to be in control of my life, to be the one who's marked a path out for me that I trust, the race that he's marked out for me that I want to finish, that I want to run, that I want to be on. I don't want to turn off this path and trust in somebody else who's giving me a different gospel, taking me away from the path of the I am. So it's, it's not that I'm not seeking help from other people. It's that I'm turning away from God to get help from other people. Is when I make them my refuge, when I make them my trust. So in some sense, we could say the question is, whose worldview will you trust? Those who try to be seen as cool or those who seek worldly popularity or those who seek pleasure for the now at the cost of those we love and at the cost of our bigger story. Because that's kind of what it means to trust and to take refuge in somebody else's worldview, following them, turning away from the I am, and sacrificing those we love to some degree because we're pursuing pleasure or we're pursuing something for ourselves. We want to be seen as cool, so we're sacrificing our own bigger story to be seen as cool by others now or or to be... a approved by others now to be seen as somebody who gains acceptance, accolades, approval by the crowd, whose worldview is more important to you, the worldview of the I am or the worldview of those whose approval that you seek. This is really hard, and it's hard for all of us all the time. I think it is significant, not intended necessarily, unless it's God's wink, but it is significant that these are the two middle verses of all the Bible, because they really are where the rubber meets the road for us. It's one of the reasons why Jesus talked about this so much. For example, in John chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. In other words, do you really believe the bigger story of the gospel? Do you really believe in the I am? If you're seeking more the appraisal, the approval, the acceptance, the glory that comes from one another 
more than seeking the glory, the approval that comes from the only God. So Jesus says in verse 42, I I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You would rather have the love of other people's glory, the love of other people's approval, than the love of God's approval, the love of being in the will of God. You would rather be in the will of others because that's the glory that you seek more. You're trusting in princes, those who have the highest status. You're taking refuge in the approval of people rather than the approval and the will and the command and the worldview of the only God. That's part of how we love God is to love his will for our lives more, to love his approval for us more, to seek his glory rather than the glory that comes from others. Jesus says that's a very practical way that we show the love of God in our hearts. Psalm 146 verse 3 says something very similar to these verses. It says, put not your trust in princes. In other words, the highest status of those who are the inside elite. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Now, Jesus called himself son of man, but this is meaning something very different. This just means a human being. In a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. What a verse. When his debt, when his breath departs, no matter what he's promised, no matter how much confidence you've put in this person, when his breath departs, like everybody else, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. His promises perish. Whatever it is that he offered you is as good as his own mortality and frailty in God's universe. Verse 5, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them. In other words, oh, by the way, one more little phrase, who keeps faith forever. The God who created the universe is the one you can trust forever. He is faithful forever. He made the entire earth. He made the entire universe. He inhabits eternity. It would be far better to put your confidence and your security, to take refuge and put your trust in the God who created the universe rather than just another son of man like yourself who's going to die and can't deliver on his promises on the day that he ends up being dead just like anybody else. That story is literally a dead end. That promise is literally a dead end. At best, there's a dead end. Even if it provides a little something now that gives you a sense of security, gives you a sense of relief from your worry, at the very best of that story, it's a dead end. So again, I think the question is, whose worldview will you trust in? Whose worldview will you follow? The God that created this universe who keeps faith forever or the one who makes promises, but there really is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Now, again, all this is an issue of fighting the fight of faith. I mean, all of these things is an issue of faith. Which do you think is more plausible? That Jesus rose from the dead and all the Bible is true? 
or that not, and that you're just a product of chance, and there is no God in the universe, and so there really is nothing that is right and wrong that transcends human opinion. There is no real love except for just a chemical response. There is no real justice except power and might at the time. There is no real morality. There is no real right and wrong because we live in an impersonal universe of just matter. And an impersonal universe doesn't care about right and wrong. Even if you do, you're going to die. And so will your any sense of right and wrong with you if there is no God. Any sense of meaning to your life will die with you. Any sense of significance to who you are is as good as dust. Now, that might be the truth. I don't think it is because I think it's far more plausible that Jesus rose from the dead for lots of reasons I'm not going to go into right now. But we sort of have to think logically about this because when we get confused in our anxieties and our worries and our insecurities and we deal with the disapproval of the mob, disapproval of the crowd, maybe on social media, maybe in a friendship group, maybe family members, maybe just the intimidation by watching shows on TV or something, and we start to feel out of place in God's worldview rather than the worldview of our culture. And it's a fight of faith. And we have to remind ourselves that Jesus rose from the dead, and it's all true. At least it's more plausible that he did than that there is no God and nothing is true in the sense that nothing matters. That would be the truth, that nothing matters. You don't matter. What you do doesn't matter because it's all going to become ash in the end. The entire earth will become ash in the end. And so nothing matters in the end, and therefore it doesn't matter in the middle either. Psalm 37.3 says something similar. It says, trust and he is. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Another translation says, cultivate faithfulness. It's kind of a tricky Hebrew term to translate, but it's the idea of dwelling in the land and enjoying cultivating safe pasture, cultivating faithfulness, that you can dwell secure and so that you can be faithful to people. You can be faithful to God. You can do good without fear that doing good will not be approved by others and therefore you don't want to do good. You want to be in a different worldview. This is saying trust in he is, good that is defined by he is. And dwell in the land, dwell in his promise, dwell on his path for you because he's going to return to this land and this earth will become a restored, redeemed world of eternal forever love and glory and beauty. Be in that story. Be in that story now. Dwell in that story now by doing good and by cultivating faithfulness and living redemptively, and enjoying safe pasture. This is a metaphor, again, of a sheep, but dwelling securely without being driven by our anxieties and our worries and our insecurities to a false God. We're trusting in He is. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 57, 11 through 13. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? And have neither remembered me nor taken this to heart. Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. 
The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Now that's just pregnant with poetic meaning. The idea of inheriting the land, inheriting the earth, just like the promise of the gospel. Possess my holy mountain means to possess the very presence of God back on earth as our inheritance. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The truth is the wind will carry them all off. A mere breath will blow them all away. But whoever takes refuge in me, there's that image again, will inherit the land. Same word as inherit the earth in Hebrew. I want to inherit the earth. I want to be in this bigger story. It's a fight of faith. Whose worldview will I trust? The worldview that becomes nothing but a mere breath in the end becomes dust in the end. I mean, that's a fact. There's no denying it. There's no debate about that. If there is no God, that worldview that there is no God becomes nothing in the end. If you're going to let that worldview intimidate you, if you're going to let that worldview be the what you turn to ultimately in your insecurities, in your anxieties, your desire for significance, your desire for glory and approval and acceptance, those idols are going to let you down because they are nothing but a mere breath in the end. They're going to be blown away by reality. But whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land, inherit the earth, possess this bigger story. I just love that question. Whom have you so dreaded and feared that you have not been true to me? God says the same kind of thing in Isaiah 2:22. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? Now, it's not saying don't treat people with esteem because the Bible tells us to. They're created in God's image. It's talking here about a greater esteem, a greater approval, fearing them more, wanting glory from them more, the acceptance of the crowd more than of he is. And so trusting in princes, trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. They're just given the breath that they have from God, and God's going to take it away. Why hold them in greater esteem than the one who gave them breath, and the one who created the universe, than the one who inhabits eternity and invites you into this eternal story to inherit the land, this bigger story of true glory that lasts forever, and beauty, and love, and joy, and security, and significance, and meaning, eternal purpose. This really is the fight of faith. Ultimately, only God can provide true, lasting security. That's just a fact. You don't have to have faith to believe that because all you can do is look at reality and see if you put your trust in the loftiest of humans, they're not in control of how long they live. They're still just a mere breath and then they're gone. But ultimately, only God can provide true security because he is forever. Either there is a God and he is forever and you need to put all in on him, or there isn't a God and nothing matters. And there is no benefit to trusting others because they're going to be nothing in the end anyway. But I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And so I believe all of this is true, that it is better to take refuge in the I am and he is than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the he is than to trust in princes. 
princes being whatever it is we esteem the most in humanity, trying to get them to be our trust, take refuge in them, and their approval is still nothing but a mere breath and dust in the end. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Remember, Jesus said, you seek glory from others because you do not have the love of God in your heart. I want to have the love of God, the love of his name drive me to be faithful on this path, to exalt in him so that I can ever sing for joy and rejoice and that God spreads his protection over me. Now, I'm going to die in this world. His protection doesn't mean I'm not going to have hardship in this world any more than it meant that Jesus didn't have hardship and ultimately die. It means that in the larger story, in the bigger story, his path is the only path of security and protection and joy, everlasting security and confidence and significance and worth and protection with God's continued presence. And so we pray, I want to take refuge in you, Yahweh. I take refuge in you because you are, he is. I rejoice in your promise. I rejoice in your constant 100% presence with me and your protection over me. Whatever hardship you allow to come to me, I trust you. Jesus said, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the care and will of your Father in heaven, and you are far more valuable than a sparrow. He numbers the very hairs of your head. I trust that you number the very hairs of my head. There's not a second of time that you are not in control of. You are my God, and my times are in your hand, and I trust in your path for me. I trust in your will for me. I trust in your story for me. I rejoice in your will for me because you ultimately spread your protection over me. Nothing happens to me outside of your care, outside of your will. And those who love your name will exalt in you. Psalm 910 says that those who know your name put their trust in you. I put my trust in you because you are he is. You are the giver of all life. You are the source of all that exists in the entire universe. You are the one who inhabits eternity. You are the one who is 100% present with me with all your infinite love and all your infinite wisdom, focused on me with all your infinite power and all your infinite glory. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you, this verse says. I trust that you will not forsake those who seek you. I want to seek you first. I want to love you more. I want to love you most. I want to trust in you most. I want to take refuge in you first and foremost. Because it is far better to take refuge in you, the I am, than to trust in the best that humanity has to offer. Because they are just a mere breath. And when you take their breath away, all of their plans and promises perish. All of their approval perishes. Whatever it is I got from them is gone. But everything that I get from you is eternal. It is better to take refuge in you, the I am, than to trust in anything else, anyone else, as my ultimate security, my ultimate approval, my ultimate glory, my ultimate worth, my ultimate significance, my ultimate meaning, 
I take refuge in you. I hide in the shadow of your wings, of your protection, of your shelter, of your will, of your love, of your presence, of your wisdom with me, your love with me, your power with me, your glory with me, your glory for me, your love for me, your will for me. That's the bigger story I want to live in. You're the one I want to take refuge in. You're the one I want to trust. And I trust in you and take refuge in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.